Hey, Jesse Paul Smith here, My Creative District Podcast. And in this episode, I sit down with entrepreneur and growth hacker, Mario Nafal. This guy is an absolute beast. He put himself on the map when he took his first company with less than $300 in the bank and grew it to $1 million in his first year and then over $10 million in year two, all bootstrapped. Uh, this guy, like I said, this guy has it going on. Since then, he's launched multiple ventures into millions. Uh, they all were bootstrapped, including events business, fintech consulting firm, marketing agency, and multiple e-com businesses. He's also the founder of Athena Group of Companies. It's a business conglomerate that operates in over 40 countries. We also talk a little bit about his journey, his bachata journey, how he went from an unknown bachata dancer to one of the best in best known names in that space in just a year. So for any of you guys that are wanting to grow a brand or to learn how to be successful in the creative space, this guy unloads a ton of secrets on how to do that, how to build uh, a massive following on social media, where to do it and how to know what platform to pay attention to. We get to it all in this episode. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District Podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. All right. Well, I am super excited to get into this conversation here. I got Mario Nofal with me, and uh, this conversation is going to go in so many directions. Um, but man, you've accomplished so much. And uh, I know that we both share an affinity for dancing. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about that. And you've actually kind of used that as a platform to build a business around and and uh, so many other things. But I know one of the things that you did early on is is you got involved in business early on. And so tell me what was like, where did, did, did entrepreneurship always, was that a part of your family growing up or how did you dive into that? Yeah, it's always hard. Everyone has a different story there, man. Um, some people say, look, I was an entrepreneur since I was a kid and it's because of X, Y, but I'm a very factual person and someone listening to this, they'd be thinking, okay, like I don't have it in me. No one knows what triggers it. It could be something small in your childhood that you don't remember. It could be seeing your dad go to work and looking up to your dad and he's an entrepreneur, or it could be a movie that you watch, could be an interview that you saw, could be a podcast that you heard, and it could be at any age. And these are facts. Now for me, what triggered it? I don't know, but I've been doing it since a young age could be maybe it matches my personality trait. Maybe I saw my mother was a very independent person. I just followed her, her lead there. And my mom wasn't an entrepreneur, neither was my dad, but she was an independent saleswoman. So I was an entrepreneur from being a kid. What triggered me to get into entrepreneurship now is, now is not that. I was at university studying banking and finance, and I heard an interview with a boy who was 14, Farrah Gray. I actually met him again on Clubhouse. He's got a pretty big following of his own. And he made his first million dollars at age 14. So that triggered me and like, holy shit, like, what is this? 
can you make money that young? You don't have to be 40 to make your millions after you do, you know, you study and, and, and become a banker, et cetera. And uh, I dropped out of university in year two after hearing this, even though I was doing really well and got into door-to-door sales. So that interview is what triggered it for me. I didn't even know what entrepreneurship was. Now, door-to-door sales, because that, that my background corporately is, is in sales, did a lot of the door-to-door sales stuff. What, what was it that got you into door-to-door sales? What, what was that opportunity? It's the first job that I got, man. And it, it did not, it's not something that I would like to do. I'm the guy who's very proud, very corporate. Like I would have, back then at university, I would have liked to be, my dream was to be where I am now. Now I've just stepped up as a CEO of a, of a, of a company that's going public uh, in, a, in about two months. And I, I talked to a lot of investors. I invest like crazy. I've got a strong personal brand. That's what was my dream when I was at university. And uh, the first job is sitting there knocking on doors, trying to sell water filters. It's very different. I did make six figures uh, run rates. So I made thousands a week doing that um, pretty quickly. And I was thankful for that. It was commission only. But I, it was the first job that I got commission only. And commission only jobs are pretty easy to get. The interview was in a car in front of a business. The guy was going to visit to, to sign, get him to sign a lease for a water filter. And I, he interviewed me for like three minutes in the car. He's like, gave me some flies. He's like, all right, go out, knock on doors, get us a few trials. And it was not my personality, man, to be kicked out of businesses and shut down. Now, what did you learn from that though? Because I really believe that you can learn a ton about business, about success from door-to-door sales. One, there's the rejection side of things and you learn how to overcome rejection. But what was it for you that you felt was so valuable that set you up to be where you are now? Yeah, copywriting is probably one of, if not the most important skill to have in business. Knowing how to write ads, how to write website copy, how, what, to, what to say on the phone, how to close deals. You know, just before this, I'm late because I was on a call with a, with a project, a project, a charity project, closed the deal for 84K. It took us, they, they trying to push us to sign up with them. It took me a long time to develop this. It took me a long time to be able to speak in a way to be able to close such deals. Um, and that was triggered by door-to-door because I had to convince a business to take a free trial for a water filter. And later I would go back and try to sign them up for a weekly uh, new, really weekly subscription uh, rate for the water filters to pay $10 a week for the filter. Um, so that's $520 a year. So it was all, um, you know, it was all a, a very, very, very helpful process, learning what to say and how to say it and when to say it. And it's interesting because I think there's a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of copy courses out there. And now I, I, I'm interested to talk, chat with you because I know you have a philosophy about don't buy courses. You can learn everything you need to learn for free. Um, and, 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 you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of valuable stuff that you can learn from, you know, from sales. And, but I've never really thought about the fact that sales can teach you copy. Yeah. So in terms of uh, paying for courses, I've, uh, that video talking about was pretty aggressive against them. I have many friends that sell courses. You know, Ty Lopez, I chat to on a regular basis. He's probably the most, the most well-known course seller. And we would, when I used to have a room on Clubhouse, he would drop by all the time. We would just sit there chatting. Very smart guy. Um, Grant Cardone would drop all these people, Neil Patel. Um, and they sell courses. Nothing wrong with courses. Um, but I don't like the courses. I just like people to, like courses is level two. Once you dip your toes with free stuff. And I'm, I'm, completely anti-courses that promise the world um, and say, hey, this will get you X amount of money or this will achieve X, Y, Z. Um, so those courses I'm against, but there's, you know, university is a course and it brings you value. So, um, so I'm not, nothing against um, paid courses, 
um, per se, just the, the scammy ones. Now, to ask you a second question, uh, door to door helping you with copy and knowing um, uh, knowing how to you know how to do sales and how to do copywriting. Yeah, look, what is copy? Copy is convincing people something in writing. It's just knowing what to say and how to say it. It's not when to say, or even when to say. Like what? Like the first ad on Google will be different to a remarketing ad, which is the second ad you see after you visit a website. It's called remarketing. So the first ad convinces them to click on your link. So when I did my first ad that made me millions, it was my first, first, first ad was don't buy competitor name. That's it. And it was on the name of the competitor. Now it doesn't work anymore. It was years ago. And whenever someone searched a competitor, my ad came up saying, don't buy this, buy us. And then when they go to it, I'm not sitting there trashing the competitor. I barely even, I don't think I even mentioned them. We're just talking about why our product is great. So the first one, the purpose of it is to get them to click. Second one, the copy on the website is to get them to buy or, or subscribe, whatever it is. And then door to door, we didn't just go in and sell a water filter. We went in and said, hey, you want a water filter to try? No um, requirements. You don't have to use it. You don't have to pay for it. Nothing. Just want to put it there, try it. If you like it, sure. But if you don't, we'll just pick it up. When we follow, that's different. Now, hey, did you like it? It's only $10 a week. It saves you money because of X, Y, Z. So it's, see, it's, it's the same process, just different platforms. And I'm sure if you speak to copywriters back, you know, David Ogilvy and all them guys from the 70s, 80s, 90s, they'll tell you very similar things. Like the concept hasn't changed. It's influencing people. And that's right there. You just, you said the key word because I believe sales is influence. I, I love it when people try to tell me that they're not salespeople. I believe that we all uh, sell at some point in our life, whether you, you know, whether you have kids, whether you're going to, to an interview, I mean, we're influencing somebody's decision, good or bad, it's through sales. Now, what most people are saying is they don't want to be, you know, the used, the, the typical used car salesman poster boy for, for sales, but really sales Which is- doesn't work. Is it doesn't right? work anymore. No. That pushy car, uh, used car salesperson, it's no longer, doesn't work as well as it did. People just have that, that bullshit filter, filter now that, that doesn't allow these strategies to work. But sales, now when someone says, I'm not a salesperson, true. Like they're not, that's not what they do for a living. It's like saying, um, I'm not a chef. Doesn't mean I don't go in the kitchen and make myself a sandwich. Well, I don't even do, I don't do that, but I get close. So you do sell in life. You do influence in life. And it gives you, if you know how to do it, it just gives you an edge. You know, you, we're talking about our dancing career. I became a bachata artist. It's a term we use for like bachata celebrities in a year. It usually takes years to do that. And it's like my, my hobby. People use do every, all other artists do it for a living. For me, it's a hobby. Um, I did it by being able to influence people and you know, growth hacking my way up there. So you don't have to influence people. Explicitly try to influence people, which is not a bad thing. You know, if the cause is good, it's nothing bad. You are not influencing people to give you money for a scammy cause. You're influencing someone to go on a date with you, and you're a really nice, caring person. You're not doing a bad thing. So yeah, we're all influencing people whether you like it or not, you know, we're, we're a social creature, unless you're sitting home, not interacting with anyone. Now let's talk about, you, you said something that our listeners are going to be super uh, interested in because, you know, we have a bunch of artists, creatives that listen to this podcast, right? We have dancers, we have singers, we have actors, and a lot of them are trying to create this brand for themselves, create this name for themselves. You mentioned a couple of things about going from, you know, starting out to, to being well-known in the space that you're in, in, in a year. And you talked about growth hacking and how, you know, that was your way of doing it. What was the framework or what are the key components that you have learned in doing that, that can help 
somebody really create a name for themselves in the space they want to be in? Man, like this is, this is probably my secret source in life is aggressively and intelligently finding smart cuts to achieve something. Whether it's in dancing, whether it's in, like in Clubhouse. I got into Clubhouse, man. I didn't know anyone. In a month, I was less than a month, I was the biggest name. I had the biggest daily room on Clubhouse. 10,000 people would listen to me per day, every day, seven days a week. Wow. I did the same now on Twitter, Twitter Spaces. Um, now on Bikla, we mentioned Bikla earlier. I was nobody a month ago. Now, genuine, less than a month, three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. Now, genuinely, I'm the most talked about person on Bikla, at least for now. Soon, I'm sure Logan Paul or someone would take the, take the shine <laughs> off me. Um, so the, the ability to do that is a mix of two things. Knowing how to influence people, the way I speak, what I say, the strategies I implement, and then having a growth hacking approach to it. I'll give you an idea of growth hacking in the dancing world instead of going into business. So it's kind of change it up a bit. In dancing, artists always have camera people filming them. That's a given. So what I did was I hired, I had money and I have money. So that kind of gives me an edge. I hired a camera person and I got through, through my imposter syndrome. And I told the camera person to film me the whole time when I go to a festival with the light on, the flashlight. So now all the girls, because the bachata guy and a girl dancing together, I don't know if you've seen it, but yeah, it's very sensual and you just dance with any girl, every song you change a girl. So he's filming me the whole time. People immediately assume I'm an artist, even though I wasn't back then, but I'm being filmed. And then I try to find my way to the stage by connecting with the right people, the security guard, et cetera, and coming up with a story, walking on with confidence, like I belong there with the camera person with me. They let me on on stage. Now I'm on stage in Paris, dancing alongside the other bachata artists. And... Now I've got the footage of that. I show it to the next festival. Okay, I'm happy to come. You don't need, I don't need to charge you. Just come as an artist. They'll bring me in as an artist. And of course, I have to have. I have to be a good dancer as well. Without that, it wouldn't work. So that was that's a, this is an idea of how to how to growth hack yourself in life. You know, I had my business partner, so I read big places like this in the in different countries, and I just invite my team to come work with me. There's 12 people here upstairs and, and downstairs and one of them is my business partner Bob uh, he was I don't know if you saw him walk early I don't know if the podcast started but did you see a gentleman walk behind the camera yep that's him did you see him limping no I didn't see that oh. okay well he was limping because his, his knee is still recovering he broke his knee completely shattered his knee back in uh, New Year's Eve uh, he was in, we were in Turkey back then and he was on a, on a quad bike I wasn't there I was having a better new year with the guys he breaks his knee and he had to fly to another country to have surgery done Booked everything, going to fly on a wheelchair. And they're like, yeah, actually, you can't fly because you can't bend your knee and security risk. You have to wait three, four days. And with the different airlines, you have to book three, four days in advance for a stretcher, blah, 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 all that crap. And he couldn't wait too long because his knees mending and then could, could mend up deformed. Absolutely. So um, we got, I got my, one of my key team members, his name is Roy, my CFO. Among other things we did, he called the, the, the desk He's like, hey, um, he used the name of one of the top people on the, on the board of Turkish Airlines, of Turkish Airlines, I'm trying to kill a mosquito. Uh, one of the people on the board of Turkish, Turkish Airlines pretended to be them, said, hey, you know, I know Bob is approved. He's able to go on the, pl on the, on the plane. Uh, please let him on. I approve this myself and uh, let me know everything's okay. Here's my direct number to the head office, which, you know, we take a risk. Probably no one will answer uh, if you have any questions. Or you can just call head office and ask for me if you have any questions or if there's any issues. And he got onto the plane. Um, 
despite him not actually being allowed on the plane. So that was one of the things we did. Most people don't think of this, but, you know, I ended up being a bachata artist and he ended up not having a deformed leg. That approach to life just give, gives you an edge over people that are too shy, which I was years ago, too shy or too worried about doing such things. So that brings up an interesting thought because I think when, whether you're an artist or you're trying to build a business, trying to build a brand, there's a box that you create. I think subconsciously we create a box and in those boxes are rules to get in that box. But it sounds to me like you take rules, certain rules, and you throw them out the window. How have you given yourself permission to do that? I like the, the statement you made is really cool. Uh, there's a guy I interviewed back on Clubhouse. His name is Naveen Jain. He's um, worth $300 million. And he's the founder of Biome, I think it's called, which is a, a medical company. And he said something interesting. He said he likes to, ha- he, he came into the medical space with little to no knowledge. From the, he's, I think he's a tech guy. But he came in and he killed it. And he said something. He's like, I killed it because I came in from the outside. I don't have the limitations as everyone else because I don't have their knowledge and knowledge comes with limitations. And I could do things that most people wouldn't do because they have their own reasons, which are logical reasons, but doesn't make them right. And that works really well for him. So for me, coming onto Clubhouse or coming onto Big Cloud from the outside and bringing my growth hacking mentality, which I built over the years, I don't know how I built it, um, allows me to do things that most people wouldn't do. Gets me in hot waters because you know, you're making a lot of noise. So some people get bothered, but the impact it, ha- it has is, is such, it's very quick and very effective. And I've shown that a few time and time again. So you said it, it brings hot water. I think some people get really concerned, obviously, about what other people think or what other people say about them as they're trying to build a brand or trying to even build a platform. Where do you think you've been able to kind of uh, learn how to brush away that noise and stay focused on the mission and not the opinions? Well, I have two things. As I said, I'm, I'm here with my team members. Having them by my side gives you the support you need when you do get into hot waters. Mm. And usually hot waters happens to anyone that's making a lot of noise. Yeah. If you're talking about hot waters because you did something wrong, that's a different story. Right. But hot waters because, you know, hey, this person is very aggressive in marketing or, or you know, the, the, the Jake Paul, Logan Paul type hot waters where they do things that are very controversial, uh, but not bad i don't know what they do i only know about that boxing match but not bad so it gets them noise and then how to use that noise is is what matters so your question is how do i deal with the people that will be talking negatively i'm still dealing with it man it's difficult it's difficult like i'm 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 facing it as we speak i kind of got over it now but when i made a lot of noise and i raised a lot of money in the big cloud space and you know came out of nowhere and just blew it up in one day and everyone just started spreading rumors and talking things that are just completely not true and you know how clubhouse has those echo chambers where people all talk about the same thing and i didn't know about them um so i had to go on a tour you know giving the facts fixing everything it took me a few days to, to do that but it does bother me like i'm kind of tired of it to be honest um, and i'm tired of making noise time and time again um but it's easier for me than someone that puts it all on the line like if that's all i had that would be very different because I, I hear these people are bad mouthing my big cloud uh efforts and you know i could lose everything because that's all i have but thankfully you know i've got my i'm a partner at a law firm i've got my consulting firms i've got my e-commerce companies i've got my things that are, you know personal branding shit so and i've got my dancing so i've got things outside of big cloud that makes the risk minimal um and plus i got my team he's supporting me no matter what so that kind of makes it easier 
you said something that I think is really important for people to, to grasp is that if it was my only thing, um, it could be even more de detrimental. The other thing that I do appreciate you saying is that it still bothers. What I don't think is true or fair is when a lot of people, when, when people walk around and say, oh, I don't care what people think about me. I don't know if that's necess necessarily true. Right. And, and, and then it alienates people that do. And they're like, well, I guess I can't, I can't be like him or I can't be successful because I, it doesn't bother me when, you know, people want to spray negativity about me, but you're saying, Hey, it, it still does. The key is I have a team or I have the right people around me to give me the encouragement I need when somebody else wants to, you know, spray negativity. Don't put your eggs in one basket. Like when I, when my businesses were going to shit about three days ago, man, it was a tough period of time. Like, I, you know, I was told you oh, last time we had a podcast, and I'm like, hey, I'm in a court case. It's going over time. I have to reschedule. And that court case was me suing someone who scammed one of my companies, one of someone I trusted, um, and and losing me millions. So and that was a year and a half ago. Now the, the case is now. So it just shows you how slow wow. the legal process is. Yeah. So in that period of time, that was about a year and a half ago. I had that issue happening. Okay. The the the, the legal being being scammed. I had one of my companies facing bankruptcy. And I had, um, I was diagnosed with a tumor, brain tumor, non-cancerous. Wow. I found out later. So it's all good. But all these things in a month, my exit was dancing. So if you don't have an exit, whether it's gaming or, or dancing or, or hanging out with ladies or whatever it is that you enjoy, or just having a partner or watching movies, movies are a good exit. I should probably watch them again. Um, it, it just makes it very hard, very stressful and very unhealthy. That, that answers that point about having that second avenue now or even having two three four avenues hanging out with friends some people do that most people do that i don't um now about what not caring what people think like you know you got tattoos on your arms which i'm sure is portraying a message to the world you got a nice decor behind you you know i got i said i didn't shave so i would have loved to shave i'm sure everyone does care it's just how much you care about yourself um so very rare to find someone doesn't care about what people think and that's usually a sign of depression so uh, I would say, um, yeah, most people do, and that's, that's, we're designed to, we're a social creature. We're yeah. designed to belong. We're designed to be part of a community. It's who we are. So thinking that's a bad thing is looking at humanity or being a human is a bad thing. Now, obviously there's limits to it. There's always a balance. You know, there's a book that talks about the most common thing among billionaires, not millionaires, is not being binary, not being black or white. So it's not about caring what people think or not caring. It's about how much you care. Like, do I care if people think I'm a scam and I'm not? Oh, I care. I don't want people to think something wrong about me. Do I care if someone sees me dancing and says, hey, this guy's a shit dancer? Not really. No, I've got enough people that like it. Do I enjoy it? So, Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the fact that you you know where the opinion should matter and, and where it doesn't. And I think that's, that's the key identifier is understanding what opinions to care about. It's not about that you don't care about opinions, period. It's, it's paying attention to which ones matter and which ones don't. Now, you know, one of the things I've heard you say before is that you're fascinated with momentum. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that you, you believe that the best way to grow momentum is to grow businesses. And I know a lot of people that have their heart set on becoming, you know, being, uh, whether it's a, a professional dancer, a singer, an artist or whatever they, you, you said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. And I think a lot of people, they say, I'm going to either be this or that. 
and, and they don't give themselves permission to be both. But my question for you is this, is that when do you allow yourself to put your eggs in multiple baskets? Do you believe that in order to gain momentum, you have to focus on one area first, or is it more like, is it more testing a few things out at one time? Right, man. That's a good question. And I think the audience, if they really understand and break down what I'm saying, they're going to benefit a lot. It's depending on how much risk you want to take. If you want to be a football player and you put all your eggs in a basket, where it's this or nothing, that if I don't succeed, I'm going to work at, at Walmart for the rest of my life or work at McDonald's, that's a high risk. What if you get into a car accident and you break your knee? How many, um, I was thinking of that a few days ago, how many professional sports players, professional athletes went into depression after they had an injury or they got let, let go of a, of, from a team or, or whatever, whatever happened or they lost something and they lost everything afterwards. Their whole life came to an end. Or a boxer gets an injury and just goes live. No one talks about them though. You know, when they go off the, 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 that pedestal, no one talks about what happens to the ones that don't succeed. I, I, you know, the smart, um, if you're, I'm, I'm started recently, recently started watching MMA and I think it was Connor or someone they were, they were saying that, you know, don't, I think it was Connor, don't put all your eggs in that basket. Like, don't put your career, it wasn't Connor, it was someone else, but don't put your focus on just wanting to be a, a fighter. Muhammad Ali, I think, was saying, no, Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali. It's like, Muhammad Ali, yeah. Ali said, don't put your focus on just wanting to be a boxer. He was a boxer, he was a world champion. But he said, don't put all your effort there because it's really, really, just look at the numbers, look at the, it's really difficult to achieve it. It doesn't mean don't do it. But I have something to fall back on. You don't have to do that if you're willing to take the risk in life. But you have to make sure you look at both sides and the other option. Like You can have all the drive in the world. If uh, Michael Phelps had bigger hands or bigger feet, which he does, and won the Olympics as a, as a, as a swimmer, as an Olympic swimmer, that's something you couldn't control. Even though you had all the drive you, you wanted in your life, you had a shorter leg by three centimeters. And that just was the, the, the reason you couldn't succeed. So... I'm a big fan of, of putting your eggs in more than one basket. Why? Because I've looked at research. I've looked at numbers. I've looked at facts and I've fallen into the trap of thinking I'm untouchable and anything I touch will turn into money. I almost lost everything a few years ago. So definitely have your eggs in different baskets. I have multiple businesses. I have dancing. If all my businesses fail, dancing is a hobby that I have and I, I love and I travel the world doing, which so I love business too. Yeah. And so here's the question that I asked then for, for people that maybe, maybe they've been putting all their eggs in one basket and it's been their career in, in, you know, in dance or, you know, they wanted to be a recording artist and they've just, they've kind of, uh, I know I fell victim to that when I was, when I was younger, everything was a means to an end, right? It was like, Oh, I'll just work at this job because eventually I want to go do music videos or eventually I want to, you know, so I didn't, when my career did fail, I had nothing to fall back on. I was in trouble. So where is that line and how do you find the line from not going, you know, all in in one space, but also not spreading yourself too thin? Like, too where thin. is that? Where's that line? Yeah. Um, now you said something when I was younger. Age is an important factor. If you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, it's different than when you're in your 10s, teens or 20s. So that's just something important to remember. You can put all your eggs in one basket at age 18. But you should think twice at age 25. Probably shouldn't at age 35. So these are just facts. Now, it's really easy to hear the, the watch, watch an interview with some 
singer that said, you know, I followed my dream. I knew I wanted to be there or there's a movie. I knew I wanted to be there. I had nothing else in mind. Like, I'm like, either this or nothing. And then it sounds so sexy and gives you that drive. Yes. But no one makes a movie about the 99.999% that I did the same thing, had the same capabilities and didn't get there. They're ignored. Um, so just be careful. Be analytical before being emotional. Um, now, drawing the line of when, it's too, when, it, when, it's, when you spread yourself too thin, I think you just need to be logical about that. Um, I've spread myself too thin many times, so I'm, I'm not great at it. But um, in business, I use Jim Collins as an example and, and how he does it. He explains it in his book, Good to Great, a really good book. He says, throw pebbles, pop, 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 pop. And then when a pebble hits, get the freaking cannonball and, and shoot it through. So that means test different things. Keep testing. When do you stop testing? When do you know a test failed? That depends. It's hard. You need certain metrics. But just keep testing. Keep trying different things. And then when something works, which is really rare, let's say you, you want to be a singer and you do an, an, an album, a, a, a single and it goes viral. Like, uh, what's that? The cowboy one, the little Nas. And, and <laughs> yeah, the, the little Nas X, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whatever. What is it? Uptown, not Uptown Road, whatever it's called. Uh, old Town Road. Uh, old Town Road, yeah. Um, Uptown Girl is like an old school song in the 80s or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, Uptown Girl. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Old Town Road. Um, he, he did it. He was very analytical about it. The way he did it, study about how he launched it and how he got it to go viral via TikTok. When he managed to get that, now he can go all in. That pebble hit, and it hit hard. Um, the founders of Warby Parker, they were all full-timers before the company got to like 100 mil, before they left, left their job. So they kind of left it too long. But they were testing it. They were seeing if it works, and they had their job to fall back on. There's nothing wrong with having a job as a backup. Nothing wrong with a job whatsoever. So, um, yeah, man, like that, that would be my two cents. I love dancing. Let's say dancing was my dream, but I got business doing millions. Um, I'd be doing dancing, trying it, trying it. And if you're smart about the way you learn, read Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Chef, teaches you how to learn quickly. There's other books as well. If you're smart about the way you learn, if you're, you know, you think from a growth hacking approach, you take those short, not shortcuts, smart cuts. There's a book called Smart Cuts. Um, you're, you're able to learn in less time. More, I, I'm a better dancer than people that have been dancing for many, many, many years. Why? They're doing the same thing again and again and again, not filming themselves, thinking they're the best. I'm humble. I'm always learning. I'm asking for feedback. I'm filming myself. That means I could do, I could learn more in a year than they learned in five, six years. So if you're smart about learning, you could achieve a lot in the limited time rather than having to go all in. You don't have to go all in. You don't have yeah. to go all in. Yeah. I love, I, I, I love that. Now, I want to take a bunch of these different pinpoints that we've talked about through this conversation. We've talked about timing. We've talked about diversifying. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And we've talked about learning. And I think there's this, this, we're in an interesting time where all of those align around a certain business right now that you're involved in called BitClout. Let's talk a little bit about that and why that is something that people need to pay attention to. Yeah, pay attention to it, I'd say, before just jumping in, depending how much time you have. I invested a few thousand dollars just now. You can invest in people. I'll explain the platform. But I invested it in a chef like about two hours ago. He messaged me. He's like, hey, have a look at my profile. And he's a chef, Michelin star chef, posting content on there. I'm like, that's, that's the type of people we want. What's BitCloud? Right now, it's very, very crypto heavy, but it's early. Very soon, crypto wouldn't matter. It's essentially a version of Twitter for now that's decentralized and where you can bet on people. Now, the part, your audience is not a crypto-heavy audience. Some are, most, or some wouldn't be. So I'll go down the non-crypto path. The decentralized aspect, people, you don't have to worry about it. I think most people won't care. Crypto people will. The other part, 
which is where it's the, the concept of it is that you put your money behind people you think will go up in value. It like tokenizes people's value. People put money, I don't know how many millions of dollars of people locking in, believing that I'm going to grow in value. So BitClout is essentially a platform that monetizes people's value. You can bet on Logan Paul, you can bet on Elon Musk, you can bet on whoever, if you think they will go up in value. That's okay. what BitClout is. So if you go on there now, you need Bitcoin to get in. Again, it's really, it's still very early. It's been around for like a month and a half. Very, very early. Uh, but it's blowing up. It, what I would recommend, being an early adopter, being on Twitter when no, everyone else thought it's a fad, or being on, on Clubhouse when no one, now it's a bit, now it's already past that stage, but where everyone said it's going to die. Or being on YouTube where everyone's laughing at it. Or being on the internet when no one understood what the internet is. Gives you an edge, but also there's a lot of barriers because you're an early adopter. Big cloud, there's a lot of barriers, but if it blows up, it's got massive potential. But I recommend for people to do the least they can do, just go on there and just post content. That's it. Like there's the minimal. The, the, if they want to get in more involved, they can start connecting with others, understanding what type of content people like, doing like competitions and building an audience. But it allows the people that believe in you to send you money or invest in you, which you get a percentage of whatever they invest. So if you believe in me, you can go into my coin and say, I'm going to believe in my, I'm going to put a thousand dollars because I think he's going to double in value in the next three months with everything he's doing. And my money is going to go up and they can take out your money when it goes up. So humans, influencers are like stocks. Ah. Which is the best way to think about it. Yeah. And it's an easy way to monetize a personal brand. So a lot of, a lot of porn stars are looking at it because they're always finding for ways. So not porn stars, sorry, but I should be more uh, adult uh, entertainers. So they're going on there to try to find different ways to monetize their brand. There's a lot of the athletes, less too early Musicians and artists are going in there a lot and people heavy in crypto because it's a crypto first platform. Um, and it's been, um, it's been an interesting platform. Like it's been, if we get in early on someone that can go up, like the person that, the first person that put money into me, his name is Evan Luthera. Put in like 5K. It's worth 100 and something K now. He put it in like a month and a half ago, put it in my coin. Uh, but he was the earliest person to put in money into my coin. So yeah, being early definitely um, is a big plus. So I know that, you know, Bitcoin has been the topic, especially in the last, man, last six months, maybe even a year, but definitely the last six months. And are you, do you see, because you have a tendency to, you know, pay attention to up and coming um, platforms. Um, you you kind of see things because of your experience. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, uh, you saw Clubhouse uh, early on um, and, you know, you've, you've obviously, this BitClout, you've identified that. Is, is is Bitcoin something that you still feel like people need to pay attention to or is it overhyped? Pay attention to 100%, not invest, because I have no clue about investing. Anyone that pretends is an idiot. So yeah, paying attention to 100%, man, because it's a long-term game. There's a famous quote by a famous researcher. And I forgot the name of the researcher and I'm going to paraphrase the quote. People tend to overestimate the short-term impact of innovation, but underestimate the long-term potential. So people will hype up Bitcoin. They've done it many times. And they'll hype up crypto like crazy. Everything's going to be crypto tomorrow. And then later, oh, it's not. goes down. Um, that's overestimating the short-term potential. But underestimating the long-term opportunity. Like with the internet. When the internet came, the dot-com bubble, like everything's going to be on dot-com. They'll dot-com everything. And it just popped because, okay, it's overhyped. Look at the internet now. Find me one. Actually, can you think of one person that's not using the internet? Right, right. All right. Back in the nineties, no one, no one was early nineties. So it's hard to to fathom what innovation will will lead. Humans are not designed to fathom that far ahead. It's very rare. 
Um, but you know when there's something like I follow smart money. I followed Big Black because all the smart money were there, all the smart VCs and investors, smarter than me. Um, and in crypto, all the smart people are are you know giving very favorable opinions. So the concept behind crypto and blockchain is great. Putting attention to it, perfect. If you're an entertainer and want to get into it, Big Cloud is the best way of doing so because you're not risking any money. Um, if you want to risk more, you can start investing and playing around, but I don't recommend this. Um, but yeah, man, like, and I'm heavy in crypto as well. And, and I'm not biased. Even though I'm very heavy, I'm actually not biased. I don't care if it goes to zero because I have other businesses. But um, I've got my consulting firm. I'm a partner at a crypto law firm. I've got a lot of investments in the space. But um, I'm almost certain that blockchain is going to lead to massive change in the way society works in ways we cannot even imagine um, but I also know it will take a long time. So I have one final question because I, I, you know, throughout this conversation, I mean, we didn't even go into all of the different things that you have your, your hands. And I mean, uh, you know, you, you, you're the founder of the Athena group. You've got your, your hand in, like you said, a law firm, you've got your hand in, um, you know, marketing companies, all these different kinds of things. How do you manage such a a, a busy schedule, a busy, a busy focus. Cause you got your focus in a bunch of different ways. How do you do that? Stay successful and not burn yourself out. The people that are meant to be here, but they're all, I think upstairs because I'm in here and in here because I'm doing a podcast um, delegation, man. Learning the art of delegation is probably one of the most difficult things to do. And uh, most challenging things for entrepreneurs by necessity to scale. I don't touch my e-commerce companies. My first company, Fruity, that got to me to, to eight figures uh, many years ago. It's still this, operates in more than 30 countries, doing really, really well. Um, I don't touch it. I don't touch any of my e-com companies. I barely touch my crypto consulting firm. I don't do anything at the law firm um, other than advise. I'm not a, a genius in finding good investments. I find good, good trends and opportunities and the financial people look for good investments. So I do very little. Like now on Bitcoin Clubhouse, it requires all my time but I can just stop doing that now. I can delegate it in like a month or so and do very little. Anything that's not related to my personal brand doesn't need me. And even my personal brand is the team that does content distribution, et cetera. So building systems and having the right people around you allows you to scale and allows you to focus on more things. How does Mark Zuckerberg run so many companies? Now, Facebook is not Facebook. It's a whole bunch of WhatsApp, Instagram, and all the features within Facebook, Facebook Messenger, business, uh, you know, the business aspect, and Facebook alone got a million things and I'm sure they have all these different investments and they got the, the ventures, the, the incubator. So yeah, he has a team as processes in place to get to that level. And that's what I build. That's how I, I'm going to hit nine figures. This conversation has got so much value packed into it. And we could, we could go on for a long time, not only just about uh, business, but about dancing and the arts. But if you had somebody that was, you know, they're, they're the dreamer, right? They're the ones that are, they're dreaming about their career as, as a creative, as a dancer, as a singer, as an, as an actor. And, uh, you know, they haven't built a platform. If you had one piece of advice to give them on, on the most effective and efficient way to spend their time right now, building that platform, what would you tell them? Okay. Go early on a platform that's less competitive. You can blow up on Instagram. You can blow up on Facebook or TikTok or Snapchat, but you can blow up a lot quicker on Twitter spaces or clubhouse or BitCloud. That's what I did. Now, I built a massive following by doing nothing on Instagram, even though I have 100 and whatever, 150K followers there. I did very little. It's mainly my dancing that I go to festivals. In business, at LinkedIn, I post a lot of content, but my everyone knows me from Clubhouse. 
and now everyone knows me from Big Cloud. And as Big Cloud blows up, it's just easier. And to better understand what I mean by this, I want you all to Google one thing. Don't, you can Google my name, Mario Norfolk, if you want to message me and join my community. Um, but I want, to, want you to Google something before Googling me. And that's Bill Gross. Bill Gross, G-R-O-S-S, TED. So if you Google Bill Gross, TED, he has a TED speech, six, seven minutes long. And it talks about the importance of timing in business and how research has shown that timing is more important than the ID, than the money, than the drive, than the people, than everything. Timing. Right place at the right time. We talked about uh, Lil Nas and his song. He leveraged TikTok to get there. It wouldn't have been the same without that TikTok virality. TikTok allowed him to test different um, renditions of the same song, different versions, constantly testing, see which one clicked, different clips, different beats. And then the one that clicked and went viral, he doubled down on it. That wouldn't have happened if he went down with a record label. It probably would have been with the 99.999% that gets rejected by record labels. Or they take their, you know, they, they, they freaking take their limbs by taking a big chunk out of their money. So I would time everything. And I talk about it a lot. I've got a couple of videos about timing. And I think that's been my focus in business, being at the right time at the right place. And it's not a necessity. It just makes things easier because you can go down the hard path like Instagram and you could still make it there. It's just harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it definitely a, a, attention is important. It's vital. And finding where um, you can cut through the noise easier is, is definitely. Under, just, underpriced just attention. Underpriced yeah. attention. Yeah. Well, if people want to connect with you, Mario, know, you know, learn more about you, where's the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, just Google me. There's not, not many people with my name, Mario Norfolk, N-A-W-F-A-L, N-A-W-F for Fred, A-L for Larry, Mario Norfolk. Google me and message me anywhere and the team will just add you in. You can't access my Instagram right now. I just got hacked a few days ago. So I'll get that back up, but you'll message me anywhere else. All right, man. Well, listen, man, this conversation has been super, super valuable. I appreciate you taking your time. And uh, I know I learned a lot from this conversation with you, so I appreciate it. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.